I'll tell you something I did not expect to be difficult about doing offshore wind assessments. The terrain model. I thought the height contours would be the easy part. Because <laughs> the software was all built for wind farms on hills, so it freaks out. It's like, I don't know how high anything is. <laughs> There's not enough contours to figure it out. So I've got to go in and draw a little circle around each wind turbine and say, yes, this is all zero height. <laughs> nice. Don't worry, you're, you're okay, program. I don't know if Dan is catatonic or... No, no. He's, he's moving. No, I was just contemplating the uh, wind turbine program that's spazzing out about being at no height. Yeah. It was very very nicely amusing for some reason. It may be my sleep <laughs> The nearest height brain. contour is 20 kilometres away. What do I do? That's the coastline. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're at sea. Just put in zero. You just need a button. I'm at sea, bitch. (laughs) Are you getting a divide by sea level error? (laughs) Error. Excessive saltiness. Yeah, but I'm going to choose not to start this resource calculation because it'll take forever. I'm trying to do things that this laptop is only just capable of doing. Um, Also, I should stop talking about work. (laughs) Minimize. There we go. All right. Let's hit play when you're ready. And I'm ready. I've got my finger hovering over the triangle. Yep. Three, two, one, engage. That caused my phone to fall over. <laughs> it's in a like silicon case, which means it still falls over exactly as much, but it does it at unexpected times, like 20 or 30 seconds after you think it's stable. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Hello and welcome to season... I was going to say season 5 episode 2, but that's the episode of Star Trek. Hello and welcome to season 5 episode 10 of Remedial Nerding. Well, this week we're watching Darmok. Love this episode. I love this episode as well. Can we get this out there? I, all right, I'm going to concede some things. Yes, it's a brilliant episode and it's an all-time classic of modern television. But is it just me or does it not make much sense? No, it doesn't really make any sense no. at all. Oh, good. I, I was worried. Not least which, how do you... So the premise is they're getting a message to come and meet some aliens at a planet. They've spoken to the aliens before, but they can't understand them. They can understand the words, but none of it makes sense. And it turns out, the main plot point is, they speak in metaphor. They're talking about, like, the epic of Gilgamesh, as Picard talks about it. But the issue with this is, how do you teach someone a language like that? Yeah, because it is established in this that Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra means... Um, initially hostile people overcome a challenge together and become friends. But when, you know, a baby Tamarian says, Daddy, what's a Darmok? <laughs> you know, it's like Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, the story that we also told you through metaphor about other stories. 
I mean, they say that they have a radically different psychology, but I don't know if that excludes the why stage of a three-year-old. But I feel like the why stage would get very, very recursive if you can only explain things with reference to other things. <laughs> Wait, isn't that essentially what parents do anyway? Why? Because I said so. Why? Because I said so. Ultimately, you get down to the word of God floor on things when the question's like, when you've given an answer like, well, some things are different sizes than other things. <laughs> why? And they come back with why. Like, Well, actually, the phrase I use is that's just the way it is. As opposed to because I said so. Don't break into the Beastie Boys. I mean, that's not a line from Sabotage, and I don't know any other Beastie Boys songs, so... <laughs> well, I think it's Beastie Boys anyway. I'm pretty sure the song is called It's Like That. And that's the way it is. Exactly. I thought that was Run DMC. Oh, it might be Run DMC. Hang on a minute. Living very white here. Oh. Yeah, well, the first Google result for Run DMC is a YouTube video titled It's Like That Brackets Original. Okay, so it is Run DMC then. Oh, I'm very sorry. That could be the fallacy for this episode. Oh. I'll save you one, Nathan. Shaka, when the wolves fell. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> it is weird that the Universal Translator did not pick up on what that might mean. It does raise some questions about the hell that, how the hell the Universal Translator works. Yeah, because it gets name-checked explicitly. Like, Troy mentions, oh, we've got the Universal Translator turned on. But they never go into how it works, and I wonder if that's a conscious decision. Because otherwise, this episode could easily have turned into 45 minutes of debugging. <laughs> it, it could have. But I, I have a strong feeling that there is an episode of Enterprise that is exactly that. It's just Hoshi programming and debugging the Universal Translator for Klingon. I mean, that is exactly what I wanted Enterprise to be. And then I thought, finally, we're going to get a series that's all about the nitty gritty of how things work and there won't be any stupid holodeck or time travel stuff. Oh, wait. (laughs) And at the end of the first episode, it said, oh, wait, now we're having a simulated dream to simulate the effects of dreaming in VR while time traveling. (laughs) And yeah, I never watched another episode. Maybe I should. It wasn't too bad. Maybe I should do the Jefferson Bible of Enterprise episodes and just watch all the ones that don't include time travel or an active deity. I do need to go back and watch Enterprise. There are some good moments. What I did like is the way Discovery does the Universal Translator, where you can actually hear the Klingons talking in Klingon in the background. Hmm. Oh, or it's a phone that's running the slightly advanced version of the Google Translate app. Yeah. Although, admittedly, working with a language that they've not previously translated, so... Anyway, should we go back to what's so, actually happening in the saying, episode? Yeah, slightly off topic there. Did you see the uh, the Google Translate thing the other day about flat earthers? Where if you put in, I'm a flat earther, and translated it, it would translate it into French as, I'm an idiot. And there was lots of <laughs> other languages where it was essentially just, I'm an idiot. And Google explained it away that it the translator looks at all these different articles and like draws comparisons from them to make the links. And it just so happens that there are a lot of articles out there calling Flat Earthers idiots. And that's how the translator worked. <laughs> like, it's definitely, definitely not an employee that's just put that in there. Yeah, I've got a feeling someone might have put their thumb on the scale of that machine learning exercise. <laughs> flat Earther. Synonym. Idiot. I do quite like the uh, infographic that's the sun. Mercury. Sphere. Venus. Sphere. <laughs> Earth. Flat. Mars. Sphere. Etc. 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 Funny how nature does that. Exactly. But again, we don't. What are we talking about? <laughs> Star Trek? Yeah, so their plan is 
yeah, there's a there's a scene of the other the Tamarians on their bridge because they open up the like FaceTime and have a chat for a while, which is a bit fruitless because the Tamarians are just you know making weird references to their mythology. But they are very clearly at one point saying we're going to do the Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra thing, <laughs> and the first officer says whatever the phrase is for, let's get out of here, which was like Jim Bob with his sails unfurled. <laughs> I forget the exact name. Footnote, the Tamarians clearly have words for ocean, sails, walls, arms, fists, the abstract concepts of open and closed. It seems like they could have used some of those words. Anyway. <laughs> but the captain's like, no, we're going to do Dar- Darmok and Jalad, so beam us and the captain both down to the planet surface. We're going to have a camping weekend and fight a tiger. <laughs> stealth tiger. A stealth tiger. Yeah. With electric... An electrified... Like a tall tiger yeah, a stealth An electrified tigers. stealth tiger. Yeah, it's like an electric type Pokemon that's also invisible. But at this stage, they haven't got to that point. We've got Captain Dathon throws Picard a knife and it's like, oh, is this going to be like the Gorn again? Or oh, yeah, a mock time or something. Has Picard become a, a Gorn again Christian? <laughs> that is terrible. I'm sorry. That is terrible. I agree. That is such a dad joke. <laughs> it is a very dad joke. The Picard's in a uh, camping jacket, which is convenient. Yeah, he's he's swayed with uh, leather shoulder pads. That's not suede. It's it's also not leather. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> crushed velvet and polyester. It's velour. He's gone to the Zap Brannigan store. <laughs> Something I did enjoy was the because. There's the there's basically an A plot and a B plot which intersect throughout, which is a good way, uh, always a sign of a well constructed episode, I think. Which is Picard and we later find out his name's Dathon, I think, down on the planet doing their camping trip, where they Dathon is trying to say we're on a camping trip. There's a stealth tiger, and Picard is saying, "What are you trying to fight me?" Or, and meanwhile, up on the Enterprise, Riker is doing a, a pretty passable job as acting captain of the Get Picard Back plan. He says he's doing a passable job. He's quite aggressive. Yeah, he's really not. Well, he's dipl- clearly stressed. His diplomacy proficiency just isn't there. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that he keeps turning down all those captain's jobs because he has just not got the diplomatic flair that it seems you need. Well, Picard clearly put all his points into diplomacy. And none into survival. And none into survival, that is true. Whereas Riker is more on the uh, evasive manoeuvres skill tree, I think. Hmm. I do quite like the way that uh, the emotional context from Dathon's conveyed quite well in the uh, the delivery of the line, as mm. Picard completely fails to light a fire. Yeah, I've got to say, not much of this episode is actually in the script. Yeah, it's all in the acting. Or I should say, not much of the script is spoken aloud on screen. There's a lot of parenthetical remarks in the script. It's an I am group script. I am group? I am group. Yeah, apparently when, oh, I got you. when, when they wrote it, they're like, and they had the like one line and then like a paragraph explaining what Groot was trying <laughs> to convey in those three words. <laughs> but when it gets to the bit where the the Darthon is uh, doing his uh, his little prayer ritual and laying his badges out, and he's heard him on the floor, he said his little piece, and then he's like looked over Picard and he's like, Are you seriously just gonna creepily watch me from across the darkness while I do this very personal and private thing here? <sighs> I did like that we share slightly in Picard's point of view there because we have no idea what the heck he's doing. Hmm. It seems kind of religious, but we don't really know. Yeah, he could just be marking the uh, the border of his territory. I thought those were anti-invisible electro Pokemon tigers. 
deflectors. <laughs> they may be. Dathan's plan, because he's the one who's engineered this whole scenario, is nuts. This is one of the... As long with the Universal Translator quibbles, that is the main thing that I don't really understand about this. It seems like they could have gone for the Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra camping trip plan on a planet that did not have an invisible Pokemon. <laughs> and then they would have still had the, you know, here's how you make a fire, temper his arms wide, that means here, have some st- stuff from me. But they could, for that matter, they could have done it in a boardroom, just like, here's an orange, what do you call it? Well, not an orange, they're not, they're a native Earth species. Here's a round thing. I call this a round thing. <laughs> What do you call it? Oh, it's the uh, object that you play that game with that we won the World Cup in 1966 with. Oh, I so thought you were going to finish a a sports fact then. (laughs) I thought I did. I was waiting for the opponent. The opponent? I assume Germany because... Because everyone shouts two World Wars and one World Cup. Well, I was also under the impression that Germany, between the various Germanies, had won like at least three or four World yeah, Cups. Yeah, I think Germany has won three, I think. We, we really have nothing to crow about. Did East Germany ever win one with a team of you know, genetically mutated Soviet superheroes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When well, I say genetically mutated, I mean pumped up on steroids, obviously. That, that is an alternative history show that I want to see. The rags to I mean, I don't know if title. it's the alternative history so much as it's every Olympics between 1965 and 89. <laughs> this is something I didn't realise before. The um, Dathon, the captain, uh, he is played by a guy called Paul Winfield, who was actually the captain in, of the uh, Reliant in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Would it surprise you to learn I didn't recognise him? <laughs> <laughs> the makeup under his trowel loads of makeup. The makeup department did a really good job. There's a couple of featured extras in this. I say featured extras. Only one of them actually has any lines. But there's more random crew members, or they're more prominent than normal. Yeah, the random helmswoman, the guy at Tactical that's taken over from Worf, and the woman that's in the shuttle with Worf. Yeah, exactly. Who seems like a fairly major guy. And then doesn't later, Geordie's trying to, you know, fiddle with screwdrivers in the transporter room to try and get through the bullshit anti-solve-the-plot device. Yeah. She was actually in at least one other episode that I've mentioned before in this one of the podcast. So it's uh, Ensign Robin Leffler who was quite a big character in the episode with Wesley in the game. Yeah, that's later on this series, isn't it? I can't remember if it's later on or before this to be honest. Oh, so that's the same character I see. Because I did notice she had a lot of lines compared to a normal extra. And a name for that matter because it's Geordie refers to her by name. Maybe they were just testing her out, so we figured we'll give her a couple of episodes, see what the uh, see what the response is. Uh, the game was episode six, and this is episode two, so yes, yeah, four episodes further on. <laughs> but the, the debating Picard's survivability and Troy's like, he's gonna die. And Wolf's like, no, nah, man, he's gonna kick the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're working on the theory that a Darmok and Jalad situation is a fight to the death, and whoever wins wins the war situation. Why, well, in fact. A David and Goliath situation. Except the secondary meaning of that of mismatch in size has kind of taken over, hasn't it? <laughs> but that was the premise behind David and Goliath. We'll just have a duel and then call or declare the winner of the war based on that. I almost feel that you know, assigning Data a lab partner for anything slows the process down. I mean, he's not going to have to listen to things at one time's playback. That's certainly true. <laughs> but on the other hand, they don't do terribly intelligent Googling when they're trying to figure out what's going on. Google, 
give me all the results for Darmok in the galaxy. <laughs> Google has found 1,527 million. I do wonder what that database is, because it's got Darmok in it, but nothing about what he does. Mm-hmm. Darmok was a warrior. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes, they've got like the first line of the Wikipedia entry for the stories that these guys are using, apparently. I can understand how many times you go, yeah, you remember what it was like that time when you kicked that beehive? And no, you have that image of that time you kicked that beehive. But collectively, as an entire species, they've got to have problems. We get to a scene now where like Picard's waking up on day two of the camping adventure, and Dathan not being there, he decides to go and have a look at the camp and finds his like captain's log or maybe diary. He's Aesop's fables. Which raises the question of how writing systems work in a society where everyone's using the Universal Translator all the time. <laughs> or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just speaking English, but <laughs> I always like to assume that Picard is speaking in French. Yeah? For that matter, maybe Worf is writing in Cyrillic letters because he was raised in Minsk, or wherever it was. <laughs> was it Minsk? I think so. Actually, just speaking in Russian. The Betazoid spoken language is them just gargling phlegm. Well, the... The Betazoid language is an interesting one to bring up because I think they say in some other episode, oh yeah, spoken language is what we use with babies. Mm. Which seems like it's what the Tamarian should do as well. You've got baby language until you learn what a Tarmok is, and then you use proper language. (laughs) (laughs) But if that's the case, then I don't see why they can't do what Troy does and just goo-goo-gaga at everyone. (laughs) Just assume that all alien races are babies. We'll keep this simple. I mean, that would also explain why they feel a vague sense of um, paternal protection towards all other species and go into diplomatic and counselling roles. <laughs> I mean, I imagine it, it's, it is hard to yell a war cry when you're trying to imitate a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> the same philosophy behind your cat bringing you things it kills because it thinks that you are just a shit cat. So it looks after <laughs> you. But that, that's what we're equating the Betazoids to now. Well, Betazoids are actually cats. Yes. I feel like I've spoken a lot about why I have problems with the episode, but why is it a good episode? Because it clearly is. Well, it's a lot of Picard on his own trying to figure things out, and I think it's the emotions that you can see going through, mainly through Dathon's face as he's trying to communicate. Yeah, I suppose that's true. That frustration does come across. And it is this weird idealism in about it in that they both regard communication and opening up dialogue as being the most important thing in the world over because there's an indication that over the last like i don't know 100 years or something they've just ignored each other <laughs> or had this conversation every 25 years just gone oh, don't know <laughs> we sat and looked at each other on skype for three hours they made some weird noises and we left <sighs> i'm now really curious what english sounds like to a tamarian because can they also recognise the concrete nouns? Like, if you say on the ocean, they recognise it. I mean, I guess so, because he manages the complete phrase, Darmok and Jalad on the ocean later. And he understands Picard's telling of the story of Gilgamesh. Well, I mean, at that point, he seems to be in a mortal fever, so maybe he just looks like he understands, not to th- spoil the end. I wonder if it's a bit of an allegory for something like locked-in syndrome. You're going to have to enlighten me and... Probably the seven other listeners that have no idea what that is. A lot of locked-in syndrome is people that are in. It's like a, it's like being a coma. So the person appears awake but un, unresponsive, but actually their mind is fully working. Or even someone that's had a stroke and struggling to communicate. 
In fact, that's probably a better analogy. Yeah, it is possible for your ability to speak and your ability to understand to be, become decoupled. Yeah, you've got one of the, well, not majorly common, but a fairly well-documented side effect of a stroke is the fact that you are unable to speak in sentences that make sense to anyone else because the part of your brain that pulls the word out of the filing cabinet and transmits it to your mouth just doesn't work anymore, but your ears do. I feel like we've discussed this previously on sub- in something, probably not Star Trek, because um, something I think I brought up at that point was that those people occasionally retain the ability to sing. I was listening to a podcast the other day about people that have like a, a stammer quite often. They yeah. don't have a, um, Gareth Gates is a good example where he didn't have a stammer when he sung. So it's, it's a different portion of the, the brain, isn't it? That It's more recital than formulation. Yeah, you're just going through some other pathway. If I was going up against a giant electrified invisible Pokemon, I would want something more than a little knife. Yeah, you could have brought like a big ass Batleth. Or even just a big knife. Or just said, guys on the ship, don't set up the weird plot disrupting device that prevents us from just beaming the captain back up. Instead, because <laughs> your sensors work, so if you see the electro Pokemon killing us, <laughs> explode it with a phaser. Yeah. Or beam me down a phaser and I'll just, you know, kill the Pokemon and we'll try again with a different animal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they have the, this whole exchange where... Picard's working out what he's talking about. And then he has that moment of like pride and understanding. And then the electric uh, Pokemon's right behind him and he turns red with a, a bit of an oh shit face. Oh, pride, understanding, and a ridiculous grin. <laughs> you see a uh, good old Chief O'Brien trying to beam Picard up, reporting in that they just can't do it, Captain. And Riker shouting, look, just turn it up to 11. I just want to think that Miles is sitting there going, do you not think I've tried that? <laughs> Am I just standing here waiting for you to tell me to turn it up to 11? <laughs> Who's the transporter chief here? Picard does spend quite a long time in the pattern buffer while Statham's getting absolutely mauled. <laughs> oh yeah, because they finally have this breakthrough. All right, I've got the plan now. So three, two, one, we're going to go. Okay, three, two. Oh no, I'm being teleported. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they both get immediately thrown to the ground with a single swipe. Now, I really want to know what Curlash When It Rises refers to. <laughs> You're thinking the same thing I am. That they are fucked. <laughs> it seems like Family Guy have probably done an episode in this one. Or cut away based on this. I wouldn't be surprised. I was wondering what Picard's subjective experience is like in this two-minute period where he's been beamed out, except not can't quite rematerialize. Yeah, the, do, are you conscious of it? I mean, presumably not, because I would imagine your brain can't change state mid-teleport. Or maybe it can, I don't know. But if it can't, do you just miss the time? You just wouldn't be able to. I mean, do you imagine being conscious whilst your body was ripped atom from atom and converted into energy? How much that horrible. would hurt? <laughs> He was clearly conscious of the process beginning because he had time to shout no at the heavens, but then appeared to be freeze-framed. There seems to be some level of consciousness at the beginning and at the end, because isn't there, isn't there that whole episode where Reg keeps seeing an animal or a creature in the transporter beam just as it kicks off and just as it finishes? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, so we're going to have to go away and watch that to find out what the canon experience <laughs> of being teletransported is like. I mean... How far do you have to go back to become a metaphor in language? Paul, 
when he took that stinky shit. <laughs> As a metaphor for that mixed feeling between pride and disgust. Nathan, his beard shaved. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that signifies exactly. Well, the time when you t- accidentally took a chunk out of it and had to shave the rest. And what you mean? Accidentally committing on a course that was more ad- uh, ambitious than you intended. <laughs> yeah. Going over it anyway. yeah, I mean, I would. Uh, I've forgotten now most of the examples of this I came up with that were in English, but yeah, um, Ferric Victory, that's a reference to something. Procrustean Equality. <laughs> Say what now? I, I'm probably getting that wrong. On this podcast? The, uh, Never. <laughs> the, uh, the guy who said. In order to enforce equality, everyone who comes by will be exactly the same height, and I will achieve this by means of pliers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on a minute. I'm going to do what I probably should have done a few minutes ago. Fact check yourself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For all those playing the drinking game, get your drinks ready. Procrustean, especially of a framework or system enforcing uniformity or conformity without regard to natural variation. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> but for those to come into English, I'm guessing we're talking kind of 200 years or something from when the people who were educated were all educated in ancient Greek and Latin, because that was the only thing that was <laughs> worth reading. But then are we talking the about that, the... that kind of thing? Are we talking about, oh, David and Goliath? Well, the, the consciousness understands that David and Goliath means your victory against the odds. Yeah. But I mean, the, the claim of this episode is that they are so embedded that the Universal Translator can't do anything other than just say, yeah, I mean, it's David and Goliath, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I think that's just an enormous conceit. Yeah, yes, it absolutely is. That is that is the heart of this con- I think I said it at the end of last episode, if you buy the conceit of the episode, it's fantastic, and if you don't, it's terrible. Yeah, I think it comes back to that point, I think maybe we were watching the films in that in every film there is that one fact about the universe you're watching that you have to accept that one suspension of belief in order to make everything credible. I mean, I don't know if that's every film, Dan. I mean, unless you count things like um, Daniel Day-Lewis is not actually President Lincoln. No, but there was... My example was Harry Potter. Now, the the thing that you need to believe in Harry Potter is that wizards, the wizarding world coexists with the, the muggle world just slightly off kilter and they both exist simultaneously. But and the wizards than, are all a bunch of bastards. Yeah. Other than that, the world is exactly the same. So I accept that one fact. You then make London buses purple, and I'm out. Because London <laughs> buses are not purple. I mean, yeah, there have been said that people were upset in whatever Jurassic Park film it is where someone kicks a dinosaur by doing a gymnastics routine. <laughs> On the grounds that you cannot do a, a fly bar and kick over a raptor. <laughs> a trapeze. You, you can't carry your momentum. That's it. You've, I mean, you're carrying the suspension of this belief that dinosaurs exist, and then you've got to take the. Now, I physics doesn't exist anymore. We've done a lot of talking in this episode, and very <laughs> little of it has actually been about the episode. I don't know. On the other hand, I think it's actually more rooted in this episode than I hope we normally are. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. At least it is on topic. And it is a fantastic episode. The acting's right on point and there's like I say, there's an A and a B plot that both tie into the story it's just the fact that it is a slow episode in that it is that slow discovery and that slow learning there's a lot of mood in it I mean, helped by the fact that quite a lot of it takes place by literal firelight mm. as the scene that's currently playing is 
Picard is like your typical English person in France. He knows four phrases. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is no. And one of them is parlez-vous anglaise. One is give it to me. I mean, not to go back to it, but my firm belief is that Picard is speaking French at all times. <laughs> I have not thought that before, but I do think that now. <laughs> Or maybe it's like the future army universe in which French is a dead language. Ah, oh, yes, I I love that, and it's done so subtly, coupled with the fact that owls are rats in Futurama. I've I've never noticed this fact. And the sea is un- uh, no one swims in the sea because there's too many whales. <laughs> so the only bit that really gives away the fact that French is dead is when Fry is listening to the countdown to the millennium in the year 1999. Hmm. One of the numbers as it jumps around the world is in front of the Eiffel Tower in French. Then when it goes from twenty nine ninety nine to three thousand, there's a kind of the same scene but more futuristic, and it's going to go nine in English, really dejectedly. Considering <laughs> Picard prefaces this story with, "I don't really know it, and I'm likely to fuck this up," he sells it pretty hard. He does. But he also manages to kill Dathan in the process. Literally bores him to death. Dathan was like, I literally cannot understand a word you have said right now. <laughs> I'm just going to die. Oh god, stop talking so I can die in peace. <laughs> Dathan was on one hit point because when they did the 3 2 1 on oh, no, I've been teleported, he then was fighting Electro Pokemon on his own and got completely wrecked. <laughs> but his death war kicked in, which brought him to one hit point. But he was slowly bleeding out. I mean,. The Tamarians, we've established, the Tamarians know this is happening. They could have said, alright, turns out the Darmok plan didn't work, let's beam him up here and give him a healing potion. Yep. Slash our future sci-fi medicine bay. Now, I'm going to be controversial here. Now, all this episode, Worf has wanted to shoot something. Now, we know they can't beam him up because of this particle field, and we know that the Enterprise could be really fucking accurate with its phasers. No one has said they can't shoot through the particle field. <sighs> Or, you know, just give Picard a danger close and launch a fucking photon torpedo. This annoys me. They've just fired the phaser from the photon torpedo launcher. You made the model of the ship. You know what bit of the ship does what. Don't suddenly start making it firing phasers from the torpedo launcher and vice versa. It's just annoying. All those nice thick grey lines you painted on there. One thing I did notice on this one is that, you know, in the last episode you mentioned that the Enterprise is always flying around the planet because it's constantly turning. In this one, they are just both stationary. <laughs> there is no flying around the planet in this one. We are both parked. I'm kind of curious where they went to film this, the outdoor camping scenes. I mean, to be fair, it does look a lot like California. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It was a location they reused a couple of episodes later when uh, Ensign Rowe joined the crew, which I'm pretty sure was the uh, Bajoran uh, refugee camp they went to. I mean, it would make it inexpensive, but that is one way you could create more visual interest in your sci-fi series is to do a couple of shoots in Chile or something. <laughs> a subarctic fjord. Never seen one of those in space. Yeah, Picard and Dathan at Eladrell. So that's all you need to do to get into the consciousness. Yeah, but how are they going to explain to anyone else what that means? <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe this is just a, a way for them to weed out people they just don't want to talk to. As soon as they turn the view screen off, they just speak normally, but they're like, every alien race we come across, let's fuck with them. <laughs> Alright, so it turns out they managed to beam Picard up before he got mauled by the Electro Tiger by basically shooting out the 
plot disruptor device. Well, I guess it's actually a plot extender on the other ship. <sighs> but doing so immediately starts a massive firefight, which then Picard manages to defuse with his with phrases two and three that he knows <laughs> out of his four. <laughs> yeah. When did he learn the river to muck in winter? Or do you think he just went, well, that fuck was... it, I'm going to throw this in? <laughs> I mean, that was used in there um, when the captain and first officer were opposite were arguing about whether or not to do this plan, and it clearly means shut up your face. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? Shut up your face. To be fair, I think we could probably equate this episode to communicating entirely in memes. Yeah, I mean, that is what it is. Yeah, we all know that you could just have entire text conversations with nothing but Giphy and a meme bank. Oh, that's worrying. Nathan has had to exit stage left. Dun dun dun. How many people remember what Leroy Jenkins references? Oh, shaka when the walls fell. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But it's good because we've hit the end of the episode. We have hit the end of the episode. I do like the little bit of cultural appropriation that Picard goes through at the end. What is this obsession with cultural appropriation? Surely that's how know. culture spreads by people picking up stuff from other people. I don't see that what the problem is. I would probably say that it was uh, him respecting the culture and his new friend's beliefs, but, you know. Yeah, exactly. Is it a cultural appropriation if I uh, do the Vulcan hands and uh, live long yes. and prosper? Yes, it is. Oh, that doesn't sound good. I think we are man down. I think we are man down. I don't think we learned the phrase for what for someone dying. Temba, his arms closed. <laughs> Temba at rest. <laughs> or not, in this case. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. It's, it's one of those slow episodes that ha- somehow has a bit of pace to it. It's, it's a nice middle of the road episode. I think, yeah, every time it's just about to get a little bit boring, they flick back to the other plot line. Yeah, a little bit of action, bring it back up. Nathan, his foot falls heavy. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> I don't know how much you, the mic can pick up, but I am definitely needed, unfortunately. That's okay, yeah, we're that's just no dramas, dude. If you want to log, that's no dramas, I'll sort it out. I mean, Dan can sign off. Alright, I just thought it might help to sync stop, but... I've got a couple of weeks. I'll be able to sort it out. Me and Dan can do a proper little talk about next week's. All right, I'll do that then. All right, speak to you later, guys. Yeah, later, dude. Later. Bye now. Nathan has left the building. I can I can sort that out in post. That's fine. So, after we've Darmacht and Jalad at Tanagra and made it back to the ocean, where are we off to next? Uh, I'm just loading it up. Oh, yes. Oh, I don't even really need to look that up. Well, well, next is my contender for best episode of the entirety of Star Trek. Is it the inner light? It is the inner light. No, wait. I always get this confused. Is this old man Picard life or is this there are four lights? <laughs> old man Picard light. Picard blowing his flute. Yes. That is a good episode. We've got a double bounce of good episodes. It's all right. Because after that, it's a fistful of data and it all comes back down to normal. <laughs> I shall look forward to watching Picard play with his flute. Yes, me too. I love that episode. Until next time. 
That will do. Darmok Angelad at Tanagra. Darmok Angelad on the ocean. That's it for this week, peeps. Tune in next time for more remedial nerding.